Wednesday morning. It would continue the tomorrow after that and the tomorrow after that. Our life together as a community faith would continue this Sunday and the days which will follow. Our life together will continue, I began Tuesday morning, no matter the outcome. How did I know that? Because we affirm that we follow Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't have huge differences to address, some difficult problems to face. We do. But let us also remember what one writer reminds us, that Jesus' call for love and justice was controversial in his time as well. In Jesus' parables, in his sermons, his healings, his general give and take with the people, the disciples and the public, all of those people were challenged that in any century, that if we are to organize our life together, we have to do so with the idea of justice for everyone. And Jesus issued this call in the most nonpartisan way possible. He critiqued everyone on all sides of every issue. Leah Shadi writes that from the Pharisees to the Roman politicians, from a woman accused of adultery to men abusing their power, from people of different religions to his very own disciples, Jesus calls each and every one of them to be more than they are. But he always did so with authentic care, concern, and love for every one of them. Jesus discussed with and challenged people of all walks of life with what were the political hot buttons of his day. And you know what? Some things never change. Jesus tells stories about taxes, poverty, hunger, the treatment of women, the status of outsiders, the exercise of power. All of these were issues of justice, and although they were controversial and painful then, Jesus always spoke to everyone and with everyone in love. So here's what I think made Jesus' message really different. I mean, different, that is, from how many of us seem to speak to each other these days. At every turn in the gospel, Jesus' encounter with others is in conversation and dialogue. You've heard me say many times that Jesus answers but a handful of questions in all four of the Gospels, five, six, seven, maybe. But rather, Jesus asks of us over 300 questions. The parable, which I just prefaced with those two readings, begins with Jesus affirming that the most important of all the laws is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and then your neighbor as yourself. And of course, the Pharisee in the crowd says, well then, who is my neighbor? And in response to that question, Jesus shares the profoundly unsettling story of the good and surprising Samaritan. And we know that the Jews despised the Samaritans. They would have been jaw-droppingly offended by this story. And at the end of the story, the parable, Jesus says, so which, which of those three is the neighbor? And the Pharisee says, the one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise.
Jesus challenged his disciples of every century. The one who showed mercy. That, my friends, is how you and I, regardless of our votes, may choose to act after this election. And you know, mercy is often described as sometimes doing more than what justice requires. And of course, the Samaritan does way more than simply bind up the man's wounds. He becomes responsible for his health and his care and promises to come back tomorrow and check on him. And I don't know about you, but that story gives me something that I am in dire need of, a glimpse of hope. And the scarcity of hope has worried me. It has felt rather desperate for our communities and our nation. But that makes sense because the word desperate literally means without hope. D is without and inspirare is to hope. So I tell you what, if you've been feeling desperate or feel desperate, if you find yourself struggling to find some hope in our world, you can borrow some hope from the story of the Good Samaritan. Because I believe that mercy is a seed from which hope blooms. And I mean, my friends, what can be more hopeful but an image of mercy and care coming from the neighbor you least expect it from? I mean, that parable orients you and I to the idea that we may never know who our neighbor is by their political yard sign, but our neighbor will always be anyone who shows mercy. But this is just as important. You and I, we will only be neighbors if we show mercy as well. You've heard me say in other sermons that hope is a choice. It's an act of our imaginations. Someone once wrote, I would rather choose to live with hope and be disappointed than to live without hope and be right. The theologian Paul Tillich said that hope, faith, love, that these are all decisions. Decisions. He goes on to say a decision is related to an incision. With an incision, you cut into something, but in a decision, you cut something out. You decide to have hope, and that is to cut out the option of not having hope. My friends, after this brutal election season and now week, I think the step towards imagining and choosing hope and mercy begins with a rather challenging concept. It begins with a vision of reconciliation. One pastor reminds us that the Oxford English Dictionary takes three pages to explain the word reconciliation, but then sums it up in this way. To bring a person again back into relationship after an estrangement. In times such as these, the act of reconciliation cannot be a luxury. It's not simply some happy ending to a bad story, but rather reconciliation is a necessity 
It's a necessity for you and for me because if our bad stories or our bad behaviors are to be redeemed, we need reconciliation as well as our neighbors. And one of the most remarkable embodiments of a vision of reconciliation is in the chapel of reconciliation. I was a 17-year-old with my parents when I saw it. And the chapel of the reconciliation is a part of the bombed-out shell of Coventry Cathedral in England. It was destroyed by the Germans during bombing runs. And the cathedral is constructed so that it is impossible to enter this new and gloriously uplifting cathedral without first passing through the ruins. But the ruins are not meant to be a monument to hate or a monument to revenge or even something about sorrow. But rather, they are a reminder that reconciliation is about rebuilding the broken, reuniting the separated, and remembering who is our neighbor. I believe that is possible, but simply because we are followers of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote, if any one of us is in Christ, we can be a new creation. If we are in Christ, the old can pass away and something new will emerge. But we have to remember that in Christ, God has made the first move toward us. God now invites you and I to respond, to accept what God offers, and to remember who God is. This is an act of reconciliation that we can build on. This is an act of reconciliation that we can make our own. And friends, I can't imagine anything, anything more hopeful. May it be so.